The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. Hold on to me as we go As we roll down this unfamiliar road Although this wave is stringing us along Just know you're not alone Cause I'm gonna make this place your home Good morning, Hamilton. This is Rob Golfy with the Golfy team. Welcome to the Golfy Real Estate Show Hamilton edition with host Rick Zamprin. Yes, good. Saturday morning, we have, uh, talk about hosts, a host of topics today, and some of them are really exciting, including a question. This might be the best emailed question we've gotten on the Gulf Real Estate Show uh, ever in our in our four plus years of doing this show. This might be the best question. We'll get to it in a matter of minutes. We have a host of other things we're going to get to today, including a big award uh, given to the buyers of a home after a seller reneged on the deal. We'll also talk about a proposed vacant home tax in Toronto and whether or not it will have an impact in that city. And we're also going to get to a RICO ruling about a hobby farm. You can check out the Golfy team on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter if you are selling your house. If you're buying one in and around town, you can call Canada's number one REMAX team at 905-575-7700. That's 905-575-7700. Of course, the hottest listings in the city, online at robgolfie.com. That's Rob, G-O-L-F-I dot com. All right, we're going to start with this. A court has awarded a buyer... 150k after a seller reneged on the house deal. So this is what happened. The agreement listed the seller of the property as Fabian, but to the knowledge of the buyers, he was actually selling under a power of attorney granted to him by his father, who was the true owner of the house. The buyers agreed to buy the home for $940,000 with a closing set for late September of 2016. So this is just over four years ago. Yeah, yeah. The issue is Fabian suddenly pulled out of the deal a few weeks prior to closing by way of a letter to the buyers. His lawyer explained that he had allegedly been suffering from certain medical conditions, which affected his mental capacity, which in turn affected his legal capacity to sign the agreement with the buyers. So the buyers sued for their damages arising from this breach of deal. And shortly after, they brought themselves a uh, smaller, less attractive replacement property that cost $5,000 more than what they had offered to Fabian. So this ultimately goes to the courts, and the court decides that much of Fabian's evidence is vague, it's confusing, there's not a good explanation, and basically he failed to convince the court that he lacked full mental capacity at the time that he signed the deal. So the court found that uh, the buyers uh, should get uh, some damages, and it basically amounted to, um, after doing... Uh, some homework as well on the real estate market, they figured that Fabian's home had increased in value by $220,000. So the buyer's replacement home increased by only seventy grand. So the buyers were awarded a judgment for the difference, $150,000 along with $30,000 in legal costs. So I guess, as the saying goes, a deal is a deal. This this was a costly mistake. Very costly. So what probably happened, uh, Fabian, the seller, the power of attorney supposedly, 
maybe, I don't know, maybe he wanted out of the deal. Maybe, you know, everybody was saying he probably undersold it. Who knows? Who knows what the situation was? He tried to get out of the deal. So the, so they really inconvenienced the buyers because I think it said that two weeks before closing that they said they're not going to close. They ended up buying something else and in a less, uh, less um, attractive area. And uh, so they're like, hey, you know what? Like we had a deal and these guys reneged on it. And um, so anyway, the courts looked at it and said, hey, sorry. And, and, and the hard thing about these, the, the buyers went after these guys pretty hard too because going to court, it's very expensive. Like it's, it's not cheap. It t- like, like, like this is four years later that we're reading about this. This started four years ago, but, um, but it probably got settled just recently. You know, that's how long court cases take. Like if you're suing somebody and, and that's why, you know, it, it, even if some, you owe somebody 50,000, uh, it, you go to small claims, just sue them for 35 because you don't, you know, it, it's a lot quicker, cheaper, and, um, you could just use a paralegal to do that. But anyway, what I'm saying is they had a contract. That's all there's to it. And, uh, and the seller, the power of attorney guy was trying to say, you know, he wasn't mentally fit, but there was no records uh, with doctors or anybody that he was seeing anybody for any mental illness or any medication. There was zero, zero and zero. So, um, so yeah, he's going to pay. And actually he still got off lucky. I'm going to tell you that right now for $150,000. The value went up what? 200 and something thousand. Two, was it? 220. Uh, yeah. 220. 220. So he, he pretty well still got off lucky. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but if he's, if he's going to try to appeal that, it's going to cost more money. He's better off just uh, writing the check and uh, going on with his life and, and uh, forgetting about it and uh, learn a valuable lesson from it. But you're right. A deal is a deal. Once it's on paper, um, it, it just goes on. But um, so the uh, buyers had a really good case. They had a, probably a good lawyer and uh, the sellers thought uh, their lawyer probably said, no, nah, they can't do anything and they lost. Hmm. You know? So be careful who you listen to. It's also uh, you know, some pretty good uh, advice to get good legal advice before you actually sign a contract too. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, lawyers, they'll tell you, uh, yeah, yeah, you got a good case. You got a good case here because they, that's their job. They want business, right? So, so the seller's lawyer, um, you know, probably thought he had a good case to a certain degree and the buyer's lawyer did, but the judge looked at it and said, Hey, you let you, you, these poor people, you know, bought your house and, and you reneged on it. You're not going to get away with that. Now, if, if, if they let, if the judge lets this guy get away with it, then guess what? Other deals are going to do that. So it shows people, once you do a deal, you better you better follow through on it because, you know, and we had people that sometimes they, you know, they, they, they regret selling and, and we've had, you know, I recall one where we called the buyers and say, Hey, listen, our buy, our sellers, they regret selling it. And, uh, do you, you know, are you willing to do a mutual release? Now I, we had one that said, you know what, we, we will do it cause we don't want any complications on closing. But we've had other other sellers uh, ask, and the buyer said, "No way, we got a deal. We're going through with it." So they had to follow through on the closing. So um, you, you do get the odd seller sometimes, or even the buyer wanting to uh, renege on the deal. And you know what I mean? It, it gets pretty ugly sometimes. So you just you know we'll ask it. We'll ask either the buyer or the seller if they're you know do you you know are you willing to do it because you know the other party. Um, had buyer's remorse or seller's remorse, one or the other. 
When does that usually happen? Is it a day later, a couple of days, a week, a few weeks? When, when does that, well, that thought kind of occur? Usually that happens, especially in the market that we're in right now when they bought the house and, uh, and uh, they, uh, uh, they, they get the deal like 10 o'clock, like, at night and then the next morning we're waiting for the deposit check and all of a sudden, oh yeah, they'll be, uh, this afternoon, the lawyer, the agent's telling us this afternoon and it's the next day. And, uh, then we got, then all of a sudden we have no deal. The, the, the buyers, uh, you know, got buyer's remorse and it screws everything up when they do that. They, because we had, let's say you might have had 20 offers and we picked your offer cause you were the best offer. And now we just, those other 19 offers, like, you know, you, you kind of, you know, you got your tail between your legs and calling him and say, hey, listen, this guy uh, is not doing it. And say, well, you know, now my, my offer is not going to be the same as it was before. So that's why we always ask for a certified check and we want it right away. We want it right away. And we won't, we won't even put it on the system until we have that check in our hands. And sometimes it's also good to accept two offers uh, in, in multiple offer situations. Um, and, and, and the, you know what the hard thing about working in this market and working with the, we're getting a lot of, uh, agents coming from out of town that we don't know their reputation. So we don't know how they are, how they operate, if they pre-approve their clients. And so we like, so I Google them, I, I try to research them and I, and I have a lot of realtor friends in uh, Toronto and I, I will, I'll, I'll find out, Hey, is this guy legitimate? Like, you know, and, uh, you know, in their town and, and I will look to see if this guy is the right can, the right representative that, that we're looking for to, uh, that's representing their buyers that we're going to deal with an offer. Um, it's a lot easier to deal with recognized teams, uh, even in the GTA and recognized, uh, realtors locally, um, because we know them, we know how they operate and we know that, uh, we've done deals with them and it makes a difference. It makes a difference. Now, when we're dealing with somebody completely outside the area, it makes it, it makes it tough. We don't know these agents, how they operate their business. So, so we definitely look at, at the representation of a, uh, agents, uh, the, the agent themselves to find out if they're legitimate. Uh, and I'm not saying they're not, but there's a lot of people that don't practice the, uh, the, the way they should. You, you mentioned a couple of minutes ago that sometimes you accept two offers. Would, would the second offer be like a backup offer? I.e., you know, yes, if, if this yeah, offer doesn't it, work it, out, we're going to take yours. I, I, absolutely. So, you t- okay, let's say we got a $500,000 house. One offer, the first offer comes in over asking at 525000 We accept that offer. Second offer comes in at five hundred and twenty. I will accept that offer and put a condition in there saying, uh, we accept the conditions, we accept the, uh, this offer, but, um, but we have to be released from a prior agreement of purchase and sale by this certain date. So what happens is, is we accepted the first offer. If they don't fulfill their conditions, then we got the second offer that kicks in right away after. So we still got like a good price. And that's actually a, a good way to do it. it. And a lot of agents, you know, they're like, ah, oh, we got the first one. Let's forget about the second one. Uh, it's all good. Um, so that's one way of doing it. The second way is we call that agent up a week later, but he's not going to come in with his offer at 520 uh, that we're asking 500. So sometimes it's good to get them and say, hey, listen, there's hope for you still. Um, but we're not going to find out for four or five days that you're going to get it. But the first guy, you know, until he removes his conditions, 
he gets it. But if he doesn't remove his conditions, boom, the second deal comes in. So you got two accepted offers on the same night. But the second offer, you have to put a, a clause in there indicating that you're being, uh, in the event the first offer doesn't come into effect, uh, th- this offer comes into effect, and that we have to get a mutual release from the first offer because you don't want to end up selling the house to two people. What if the first offer guy says, he says no, then you don't get a release from him, and, <laughs> and three weeks later says, oh, no, we changed our mind. We, got, uh, we want it. So it's, it, there's, uh, there's a lot of complications. It, 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 there's a lot of details that you have to discuss, but, but we do go through that. Still to come on the show, Rico ruling about a hobby farm, and we'll also talk about uh, what a proposed vacant home tax, what impact that might have in Toronto. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Golfy Real Estate Show, Hamilton Edition on 900 CHML. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. This is the Golfie Real Estate Show on 900 CHML. My name is Rick Samprin. On the line, Rob Golfie, sales representative with Remax Escarpment Realty, the Golfie team. Check out the Golfie team on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Call Canada's number one Remax team today at 905-575-7700. That's 905-575-7700. RobGolfie.com is the website to visit the hottest listings in town. Again, Rob, G-O-L-F-I dot com. If you have a question for the Golfie team, and we have a doozy coming up in a matter of minutes, email your question to questions at robgolfie.com. That's questions at robgolfie.com. Still to come, that question and a RICO ruling about a hobby farm. But first, what about a vacant home tax in Toronto? Can it fly? Well, the city of Toronto has proposed a vacant home tax in an effort to boost the city's low housing supply and fund more affordable housing in the city. It's in the latest Remax blog. Check it out online. Remax executive Christopher Alexander, however, is casting some doubt on the purpose of this tax and the possible repercussions. Now, the city's report says the tax could raise up to $66 million in annual revenue. That's a big chunk of change for any city, really, including Toronto, which is going through its COVID-19 pandemic protocols, currently in the lockdown area. This proposed tax would be going before City Council on December 16th and 17th, with the recommendation that it be levied starting in 2022. Alexander says that the possible negative impacts of such a tax, which he says could deter buyers and further deepen the glut of condos on the market, and says the tax will only further divide, uh, further the divide between the haves and the have-nots who are trying to build financial security. So I ask you, Rob Golfie of Remax Escarpment Realty, the Golfie team, um, yes. what, what's your thought on a vacant home tax in Toronto? Good news or bad news for the people who live there? Well, I think, you know what, they're trying to, like, they, they have a tough vacancy rate now, and it's uh, and, and the vacancy rate is up. It's tripled uh, what they said, right? So it was harder to get a place to rent uh, probably six months ago than it is, uh, uh, than it is right now. So, so the average rent in uh, Toronto is coming down because there's a lot more available. Um, I think they're just going to, 
I, I think they're going to drag it down more. Like every time they come up with something, it's it's always two years too late. You know what I mean? Like it's like it's like the wind government in in uh, April of 2017. I mean, it, it, you know, they were going to put this tax on foreign tax. I mean, it didn't affect us in Ontario as much. I don't know about Toronto, but I know in the Hamilton and surrounding areas, we didn't have that many foreign buyers buying. Maybe in, in Burlington, maybe Oakville. I don't know, but uh, but not not in the Hamilton area. I mean, we we, we got very few of those um, uh, uh, foreigners buying homes, so they had to pay the foreign tax. But I think it's going to create. Uh, I don't know. Like it's like the only the people that are keeping their homes vacant are the foreigners, not not the local residential like people that uh, you know, like the average Canadian. Like the average Canadian is out to make money, so it's not going to affect them. So it's going to affect the uh, foreigners. But now what's happening is, what if we can't rent it out? Like now they're going to tax us because we're struggling trying to find the rent that we want for our unit. Like like how like how do they gauge that? Like let's say you have an empty unit for six months, you can't rent it. You're going to have to pay tax because you're struggling trying to get the rent because the vacancy is too high. Like it's, it's tough. I, I think they should just let things roll the way they are and leave things alone. But I, I don't know, but they see things like they, there are a lot of foreigners buying uh, homes and condos and just sitting on them and not doing anything. And, and the easiest thing about these condos, you don't have to worry about maintenance. You just lock the door and, and five years later, open it up and, Hopefully it looks the same when you bought it and sell it, and, and that's how they make their money. Yeah, I'm not sure how big of an impact this is going to have, and this is just me, Joe Schmo, kind of talking, but looking at the average property type in Toronto in November, according to the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board, it was just shy of $980,000. Single detached homes had an average price of $1.4 million. Condos came in at $640,000. And we've talked about this on the show uh, many times in the past. Uh, the bulk of the condos that are kind of sitting on the market are owned by investors. So my thinking is, would this not force investors, if they don't want to pay this vacant tax because they can't unload their condos at the current price tag, would it not force them to lower that price, which would maybe therefore help first-time homebuyers get into at least the condo market in Toronto? It, it would. They probably uh, the rental market. The rental market would uh, would help, and it'll slow down um, the um, uh, what do you call it? The foreign foreigners buying the condos because what they're doing, they're buying them and not renting them. Well, they'll just hire a, a management company to rent them out. That's all. Like it's just. I mean that, that that solves that problem, which will bring the rents down, which will help the consumer. So everybody wins in that case. So um, and and but the condo sales will probably, the condo sales will probably be lower. Like, I mean, they're, they're not going to get as many condo sales. So these developers, they're going to have to wait a while before they sell out a building uh, to sell condos. Cause like, like, like we were talking about uh, last week or a couple weeks ago is that the, um, the bulk of the uh, condo sales are investors and it, and it's just under 80% of them. Like it's, it's a, it's a huge market. Like it's a huge percentage uh, in the condo market. Like it's like, like, like I said, the, uh, the realtors, uh, or the salespeople that sell these condos, they're, they're going to their, uh, agents that they know that have clients that are looking to buying these. So I don't know. It's it just, it's just, uh, you know what, they're going to, they're going to mess around with that. And, uh, and then who knows what happens. There's always loopholes. There's always loopholes. When the government changes something, people, people do something different. 
and yeah. and they still and they and they continue on, and then ten years later they'll change it again. <laughs> well, we'll see what <laughs> Toronto City Council does uh, next week, and uh, and uh, on the next show, maybe we'll talk about uh, that decision and the impact of. You can listen to our show online through Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and many more. Just search for the Golfy Real Estate Show in your favorite podcast platform and hit the follow button so you never miss an episode. Hey, if you have a topic idea or a question for the Golfy team, send them an email. Questions at robgolfie.com. Again, that email address, questions at robgolfie.com. We have a doozy of a question this week. I don't have a name for the person who sent it, but man, oh man, this is a great one. Uh, It starts with, hello, Rob. I'm trying to simplify this dilemma, which I know has several variables. Nonetheless, I'm hoping you can provide some insight. Is it better to live in a $1 million home with a $500,000 mortgage or live in a half a million dollar home mortgage-free and purchase a $500,000 second home with a $480,000 mortgage for investment purposes and rent out the home. He makes, or she, makes a couple of assumptions. In 25 years, I want to retire and plan to sell the primary home or the second investment home and downgrade and live in a cheaper apartment and bank the proceeds from the sale of the home. Also assume that the capital gains I'll be paying in 25 years will be approximately 30 to 40%. Would I really be that much further ahead to live more modestly in a $500,000 home and invest the other 500k in a rental property? I like to think that I would enjoy living more in a $1 million house than a half a million dollar home. After 25 years, I figure that both of the two properties at 500k would have appreciated roughly the same amount as a one $1 million home. Furthermore, when it comes time to sell the homes, I will not be paying capital gains tax on my $1 million home compared to the second investment home. Therefore, it is not better to invest in a $1 million home as your primary residence versus two at 500k when you're living less and paying capital gains when you sell your second home. What are your thoughts on this subject? Thank you. That's a long, long winded one. So the, the lower the price point of homes, they go up in value far greater than the, the higher price point homes. So in my, my analogy, um, usually homes double in price every 10 years. Uh, but in the last four or five years, they, they've almost doubled. Um, cause we're in a big sprint, uh, boom, uh, boom, the way that the economy is going now, the, you get a tax advantage also if you own another property. So let's say, you know, you're buying a shovel for digging your yard in, at your house. Well, you can put that, you can write off that shovel. You can write off a lot of things that you'd be am- amazed at over the 25 years, you get a lot of tax advantages, uh, of, uh, having that second home. Yes. You'll pay a 25% tax. So let's say, in 25 years, um, it's worth, um, like with the million dollar home, let's say it were two, $4 million, right? Will it be worth $4 million in 25 years? Will the other property that's uh, a 500,000 be worth $2 million? Um, it's hard to tell. Usually the lower end properties seem to jump more. So that's why, uh, let's say for instance, like the townhouses, they've gone up so much in price just because of the fact there's more buyers in that price point. 25 years from now, it's hard to tell that a, a, a townhouse will cost maybe two, two and a half million dollars. Like, can, like it, it, but it, it seems to it's the direction it's going to be going, but you get a lot of tax advantages. It's good to own more than two properties um, and have them rented out and, and they pay your mortgage down. And then, 
um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to tell. Like if you want a safe, easy life with no, uh, no, uh, complications. Cause you know, having renters, it does cost, it does cost money. Sometimes you get a payment in the butt tenant and you got to deal with it, but then you go back on track, you get a good one. You just got to f- have somebody help you find the, the right ones. But overall, uh, yes, it's capital gains free. Uh, if you buy the million dollar house, but you, uh, but you're also paying down the mortgage and, and that's it. So if you buy your $500,000 house, uh, and then you, and you buy another $500,000 house, you can write off uh, the interest on the mortgage. You can write off all the, everything on that house plus the, and any materials that cost. And a lot of people take advantage, you know, they're, they're writing off materials that they purchase for their own personal residence. I personally, I'm an, a real estate investor. Um, I do have houses. I do. I own a house and I own other homes and in, you know, 20, 10, 20 years down the road, I, I think I'll benefit from, uh, cashing out and, uh, and, you know, having a decent retirement. I think it's always good to have a real estate investment portfolio. So I, I would go with, you know, living modestly and, and having another pro- property to, uh, to, to own. And that's it. I, I really do. I believe in that. And I think in the long run, you'll be appreciative of that. And during the, during the short run, you'll be going, huh, maybe I sh-. you're going to look at your friends owning all these million dollar properties and go, I could afford that, but I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not there, but you might be able to afford those million dollar properties anyway. So you might be able to have both the million dollar property and the half million dollar property because you have enough equity to own both. Yeah. The, uh, the emailer basically says, and really admits in the first line, you know, there's several variables here and you point to one having the quote unquote stress of renters. Uh, the other potential stress down the line, if you do have two $500,000 homes, or at least that's what you paid for them now, uh, and you plan to sell both of them, uh, there obviously there might be a little bit of added stress in selling two homes relatively at the same time as opposed to selling just one. Yeah, the, the, the added stress, and, and it depends when you sell them. So you, the timing in selling them is, is, is very important. So you have to look at the cycle of, of real estate, how it's been in the last 10 years, like, where are you in the cycle? Is it, is it, is you, does it look like there's going to be a peak soon? Um, you know, it, 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 it's very hard to tell. It's like, you know, owning really, nobody expected in the last four or five months, uh, real estate values were going to jump the way they have. Right. Everybody, like you, you had people during COVID like in April thinking we got to unload the market's going to crash. <laughs> so, you know, nobody knew, right. Then all of a sudden, uh, June, July and August, September, and even October, uh, the last five months just, just went insane. And, uh, so it, it, you know, you just don't know, right. You just don't know, but owning real estate, you got a lot of tax advantages, which will help you out for 25 years. And, uh, and you pay 25%, um, of the, uh, um, uh, capital gains, but you're getting tax advantages right through the 25 years. You're getting a lot of tax advantages and you'd be surprised if you own some properties, you know, on your income tax, you, you start getting uh, uh, checks back instead of paying checks to the government. Owning multiple real estate uh, holdings has always been a financial win, but when did it become uh, more popular with more people? Was it was it the introduction of HDTV and the home renos and flipping and all that kind of stuff, or was it before that? I you know what I, I think I think more so definitely in the last ten to twenty years. Um, I, when I started buying real estate, um, I don't know what caught, caught on. I, I think I was probably watching, uh, you know, those, those 
Saturday afternoon shows that there are infomercials trying to say, you know, like Tom Vu, <laughs> you can buy real estate, you know, like all that kind of stuff. And it was pretty good. Like, I mean, everybody remembers that if, if they're older, but there was all these real estate uh, seminars and how to invest. And I, I hooked into it. I got sucked in. Well, not sucked in, but I, I, I fell for it. I went to the seminar in Toronto and I started buying real estate at, at, at 20 years old. Yeah. And it's worked out okay. Uh, it's it, worked out pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So it, I, I can't complain. No, you can't. And if you do, no one will listen. Uh, <laughs> when, <laughs> when we come back, we're going to talk about a, a hobby farm that was sold, but uh, there was a, a mistake or two, according to Rico. We'll dive into that when we return here on the Golfy Real Estate Show on 900 CHML. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. Welcome back. This is the Golfy Real Estate Show on 900 CHML. My name's Rick Samprin here at 875 Main Street West and just down the road at 1 Markland is Rob Golfy, sales representative with Remax Escarpment Realty, the Golfy team. You can call them today at 905-575-7700. That's 905-575-7700. Online at robgolfy.com. That's Rob, G-O-L-F-I.com. Check out the Golfy team on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. And if you have a question or a topic idea for a future show, you can email questions at robgolfy.com. Again, that is questions at robgolfy.com. Uh, here is a ruling from uh, the uh, Real Estate Council of Ontario Discipline Committee. And uh, as always, we'll leave some names out of here. But this realtor represented a buyer who was looking for a property for her hobby farm, where she could house her goats, rabbits, dogs, and chickens. Now, the buyer purchased a property, and the zoning classification did not permit the types of animals she had. The buyer was required to remove the animals from the property, and she subsequently sold it. Realtor did not confirm the zoning, nor did she include a clause in the agreement of purchase and sale, making the sale condition on the necessary zoning for a hobby farm. So having reviewed an agreement, an agreed statement of facts and penalty and waiver of hearing, the discipline committee found that the realtor breached sections four and five of the Code of Ethics and was ordered to pay a fine of $9,000. It seemed like a simple mistake here. Not so simple because we do get a lot of people uh, looking for properties where they can sometimes board uh, dogs. Like okay. they want to yeah. maybe breed dogs or board dogs and and you really got to be very careful and you got to check the zoning and see if the uh, zoning permits, um, you know, boarding of dogs or anything like that. So we check that. Like if, if we have a client specifically looking for a property, uh, we make sure that like if they're moving into this property, they can do what they want to do because the last thing you need is, is uh, a letter from a lawyer indicating, Hey, wait a minute. We hired you as a realtor to find us a property. You found it, but guess what? It doesn't have a zoning. 
They should have done a zoning check on that. The realtor should have brought that up and they did not do that. And that's, that's too bad for them. So I, I, there could be other issues even after this discipline committee. So usually it starts off with uh, a RICO complaint and then, uh, and then it goes through, um, uh, you know, probably a, a year or two of, of things. And then RICO will, you know, find the agent saying, Hey, you better be on top of your work and, and, and you should have put a condition there, uh, on condition on zoning or whatever. And they didn't do that. So, um, I, I, I'm sure this agent will never do that, that mistake again. And we always do that with duplexes and triplexes. We order a zoning verification from the city so that we know that that house can be used as a duplex, can be used as a triplex. Cause we sell a lot of houses. They say they're triplexes. Like our, our clients will call us, Hey, I got a, a triplex. I want to sell. Okay, no problem. We, we get the zoning verification. It just says it's a legal duplex. When we sell this place, we say, Hey, it, it's a legal duplex. We're not saying that you can continue uh, using this as a triplex, but it's at your own risk. You know, so they know there's one unit in there that's not verified with the city. And we put that on the contract and then, and then we're free and clear so that they can't come to us after because there's going to be one person or a neighbor or, or a friend that say, Hey, he's got an illegal third unit in there. The city's going to say to them, you're going to have to let them go. They can't be in there. And now he's only got income for two units versus three. And he was probably banking his mortgage and everything based on three units. So, so there, you always got to get a zoning certificate uh, from the city and they'll give you the exact zoning of what the property is permitted to do. And uh, that's what they didn't do here. They should have had a clause in there and, and the agent should have put that in there for them, but they didn't. So it cost the agent $9,000. Yeah, the agent was fined nine grand, which is a considerable chunk of money. Can the buyer also take the agent to court considering that, you know, she had to sell the property she went through maybe some kind of, uh, you know, mental anguish because she thought she was getting the property that she wanted. Is there any kind of recourse for the buyer? Absolutely. If there's a loss of, uh, for her to sell this property, uh, to find something else, absolutely. She can go after him and, uh, or her or whatever the agent is and, and, and sue for damages. Like what if she, you know, like she's, she was looking for a dream home where she can just have a little hobby farm, some goats or whatever. And now she, now she's got to start all over again. So like, and so it, 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 her dream didn't happen for her. So, uh, and the agent didn't do the right job by, you know, finding the right verified property that, uh, that permits that. So yeah. Oh, definitely. There's uh, recourse and she could be, uh, sued for that for sure. There might be a part two to this story. When we come back, uh, we were supposed to get to this one last week and ran out of time, but we'll get to it when we come back. Can home buyers keep money and other valuables they find when renovating. We'll tackle that when we come back here on the Golfy Real Estate Show on 900 CHML. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.
Last go round here on the Golfy Real Estate Show on 900 CHML. My name's Rick Samprin. On the line is Rob Golfy, sales representative with Remax Escarpment Realty, the Golfy team. Check them out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Call Canada's number one Remax team today at 905-575-7700 or go online and see the hottest listings in the city. RobGolfy.com is the website. That's Rob, G-O-L-F-I. We tried to get to this topic last week and just ran out of time. So here it is. And what a sensational what it is. It's based out of Edmonton. And um, I'll read some of the Coles notes of it. There was a couple that bought a new home in 1972. And um, I guess the woman lived in it for 44 years until she died in 2016. And uh, her husband had died, uh, you know, years earlier. They were hoarders, apparently, (laughs) and it took the family months to empty the house. They even hired professionals who spent 18 hours cleaning the property. Another couple bought the house in 2017, and as, you know, most couples nowadays do so, they do some renovations. So they were in the basement when the wife noticed a shaft of light in a tiny shoe cubby. So she crawled in, and she found tins on a shelf, and she opened them up and found $100,000 in bills. Now, during the subsequent demolition of the basement kitchen, they found more tins with cash and gold wafers, totaling half a million dollars. So what happened? Well, the new owners um, basically ended up in court because the previous owners found out what was what was going on. Um, Finders in Canada are not necessarily keepers. Here's the moral of the story. In the court ruling, the judge argued that there was no abandonment by the estate The new owners, on the other hand, argued the opposite. So the court ruled that based only on the affidavits presented in court, there wasn't enough evidence to determine whether the estate had abandoned the cash and gold. So for the moment, all this gold, all this cash is still up in the air. No one no one has been given that. This is a sensational story. You know what? And there's so many stories like this, Rick. And how what happened there was they went to the bank with all this cash. And what happens is if you go to the bank with over $10,000 in cash, they have to, you have to, the, the bank has to report it. So I don't know, they had a half a million dollars in, I don't know, cash and, and whatever, maybe more. And so the bank's like, Whoa, what do you do? Like, where do you get this cash from? Well, we found it. Well, they had to call the police. Right. Mm-hmm. So that got seized. So now this thing is all end up in court because they, you know, they told, they told the police, Hey, we found this in our house. We're renovating and this and that. So it's going to be a lawsuit that's going to cost a lot of money. And at the end of it, the money end up paying the lawyers and uh, all the court costs. (laughs) But, um, but you know what, but here's a, here's the thing. And I know we have a, a short little bit left. So here's what I always tell people when I go, and this is important. So for seniors, uh, that are listening, and for uh, kids, that, the parents that they're uh, emptying out a house, two things you got to do. Look in the attic. I always tell, I have, and I'll tell you, for every probably 25 times I tell a client this, we find something. So especially if it's a widow. Um, not, not that long ago, I was in St. Catharines, and uh, I was uh, there with a, a lady, and, and a, you know, she's been living by herself for 10 years. Her husband passed away years ago, widow. And I said, no problem. And I said, listen, listen, do check the attic just in case there's something in there. She goes, there's nothing in there. I said, you know what? Just have a family member. She goes, Rob, I don't really have anybody. Can you do it? And I go, okay. <laughs> so anyway, so I, I, I go, do you have a ladder? And so I go up in the attic and guess what? A box 
of stuff, a box of jewelry and money. Oh, wow. She had no clue that her husband put that up there. No way. Now, no, uh, so she was so thankful. And I said, you know what? You could have sold this house and somebody else would have found that and you would never have known and you would not have even missed it because you didn't even see it for, for, for years and years. So here's my tip of the day. Um, if you're uh, emptying out um, uh, your parents' house that passed away, check the attic all the time. Check the attic. Check. Go in the rafters inside the basement. Check that out because seniors, especially uh, seniors that are in their 80s and 90s, they went through some hard times, uh, especially if they're Europeans, you know, the war times and stuff like that. So they have a tendency of putting money aside just in case they need it. If they have to, you know, like they have to pack up right away, they, they have some money. So check that out because I guarantee you, you will find something in the attic or somewhere stashed someplace. And, uh, and then just do, just do the check. I, I do that with all seniors when I'm checking, especially if it's a widow uh, that's living there for a long time and the, and the husband passed away years ago or children that are emptying out their, their parents' uh, house that passed away and they're cleaning out. I tell them, check the attic because you will find something that you didn't know. And, and a lot of times it's a lot of money or jewelry or anything else. So Great tip and another great show. Thank you, Rob, and thank you for listening to the Golfy Real Estate Show on 900 CHML. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.